Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Bilstadt, we have a, a truck overturned, and this is full of scrap metal. Yes. Have, have you noticed, and this is... Have you noticed, and maybe I'm just particularly sensitive to this, because it seems we have trucks that, that turn over quite a bit. And whenever they turn over, they're they're always full of stuff like scrap metal. Remember we had the one that had pig guts and oh, stuff yeah. that, that turned yeah. over? It's, it's, always, it's always a big mess. Right, it's always a big mess. <laughs> it, it's always stuff that, you know, just to try to clean it up is going to, like, take forever. Right. It's several it, hours. It, it's, it's never like, oh, it, 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 it just dumped a box of, you know, TVs or refrigerators feathers. or something. Yeah, feathers <laughs> or whatever. It's always, it, it's always like, oh, it's scrap metal, yeah. so it's all over there. So it's not just getting the truck righted. It's you got scrap metal, which would probably, my guess, is tearing up truck car tires right and left. You know, oh, you got to clean it up, so... And uh, from the looks of things, they haven't even begun that process yet, so it's going to be a bit. Well, you know, it was just, you know, I drive in from from the north, and everybody has asked me, well, how, how do you like the move downtown? And I always say, well, you know, I was always, yeah, I was concerned about the commute because my commute's longer, but the, the freeway is never backed up. There's never any problems. Today was, was the first day. Uh, I mean, it was it was like stop and go. I ended up getting off on Silver Spring and coming down Lake Drive right? because I, I think— well, the Plankinton exit had been closed earlier today because somebody thought there were shots fired yep. and it was, it was just, just debris hitting debris. the car. Yeah. And then there was an accident, a collision in the Marquette interchange. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know what the problem was and I don't know how long the backup was, but it it wasn't looking good. So I thought I'm just going to get off and take Lake Drive down. But it was That's like a different drive. It's something different. Well, right? and I like. I mean, I, I I like the drive and it doesn't add that much more to it. But it was funny because like this weekend, that was one of the questions. We were at a couple parties and everybody's like, well, how do you like, you know, how do you like the new digs and going down there? And I said, well, you know, I was concerned about the commute, but it's it's no problem. The, for the times I go down there, the freeway's always clear and stuff. Not today. Except so, for today. Except for today. <laughs> and, and I guess the bottom line on this is like, as Eric says, if you're trying to get off on the National Avenue exit, you, you can't. Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen anytime soon because the truck is overturned and it's pieces of metal so go <laughs> yes. go figure that hey if you're if you're following i mean, understand it's the christmas season we've got the christmas spirit going on you would not know that from the, the crime now according to the official list of that the milwaukee police department puts up we're still at 207 homicides that does not include I know several homicides that happened over the weekend. You had the story of the woman on 95th and Brown Deer who was killed at uh, about 2.30 in the morning. That was Saturday night, Sunday morning. And then this absolutely chilling murder, um, and, and they've released the, the video of this. This was last night. Um, what happened is you had you know, two—you uh, had a car— that was in the vicinity of kind of like Congress and Appleton. And, and you can see there's, there's, they've actually got a video of it. The car you know, kind of comes to a stop at a stop sign. Another car pulls up next to it, and you can see bullets flying. I mean, you can see the, the, the bursts and ends up killing the two people that were in that first car that was stopped. So this is your classic, I mean, drive-by shooting slash execution. And clearly, I don't think it's random. My, my sense is it had to be targeted because they picked out the car. But again, you've got one of these situations. I think it's like 7.30, 8 o'clock last night. You know, you've got another execution-style murder on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And by my count, this puts us at at least, at least, 
210 homicides, which is by far and away an all-time record. Last year was the all-time record. That was 193. And again, we're still, you know, we've got, you know, close to two weeks left in the year. You just, you don't, and, and the problem and what is frustrating to me is that nobody has a plan as to how you're going to deal with this. So just uh, be be aware and be wary. Okay, I, I have I have a semi-ethics question. We've got some serious topics that we're going to do a little bit later on, but I've also got some lighter topics. And then there's some, you know, how would you handle it? So here's here's what happened. Saturday morning, I needed um, I needed some copy paper, right? So because I, I do a lot of my prep work at home, and I, I'm still one of these old school people who I, I go on the Internet, and I see a story, and I print it off, and I staple it, and I bring it, and I have a stack of papers that I bring with me into the studio to do the show. So I need some copy paper. Copy paper has, just like everything else, it has exploded in price. It used to be that you could get like a a box with 10 reams. Each ream is 500 sheets. You could get like a a box. You could find it on sale, you know, 30, 35 bucks, you know, at some of the big office supply stores. Those days are gone. Now it's pretty much 50 bucks or more. So what I've started doing is instead of buying the, the boxes that have 10 reams of paper, I buy the boxes that have five reams of paper. And it's, it's, it's a little, it's less in price. So I met this, one of these big box, box office supply stores Saturday morning. And there's the, the little stand says, okay, you've got a, a box with five reams of paper on sale for $32. Okay. All right. So that, that's, that's fine. That's not, a, that's not a bad deal. And plus, I only need about five reams right now. So I, I, I take it. I go up to the counter. I give them my, you know, my, my rewards card number and stuff. And the gal behind the counter rings it up and she says $123. And I said, no, it's, it's five reams of paper. And she says, yeah, $123. And I said, ma'am, I, I, know, I know that there's a lot of inflation going on, but it's five reams of paper. It's, that's, that's like $24 a ream of paper. It's not $24 a ream of paper. And she looks at me and says, well, that's what it's ringing up at. And, and then they had like this other kind of paper that was like two for, two for 14 bucks. I said, no, no, see, like here, you're selling it for $7 a piece. This is not $23. And she kind of looks at me and she runs it through again. She says, no, that's what it's ringing up at. And now we're, we're kind of going back and forth, and I'm saying, you, it's five reams of paper. It's supposed to be you know, 30-some dollars or whatever. So can we get a manager here? And she gets the manager here, and it, as it turns out, there was some glitch, and the one box with five reams of paper was ringing up as five boxes of five reams of paper. So, like, I was buying five of them. Oh, okay, so they, they figure it out, and the manager shows how to— um, you know, back all this thing out. And she says, okay, it's, it's $23, or $24, or whatever, or whatever. And I said, so now here, here is the, the question as to what would you have done? The, the sign when I bought the stuff says five, five reams of paper, $32. So they, that, that was the sale price. On sale, $32. All right, so I, I've taken it to this They've rung it up. First of all, it's like 120 some dollars. But now that we've gone through this, she's now telling me, no, it's 23 bucks. So I'm sitting there thinking, all right, what do you do here? Because I, I know in good faith that I, I obviously there's something wrong with the way this stuff is ringing up. And I, I know it, I mean, I intended to pay 32 bucks for it. And now they're paying 23. They're telling me it's $23. And I think that that's wrong because I know what the, the sign said and I know what I was going to pay. But of course, I've now been here for four or five minutes. There's a line forming and people are getting kind of agitated because this isn't moving and they want to buy their sort of stuff. So the question is, do you, at this point in time, after you're going back and forth and all this rigmarole, 
Do you go this next step and say, no, I, I really don't think it's $23. I think it's $32. I think you're undercharging me. Or do you just pull out the credit card, pay the $23, take the box of paper, and head out? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Here, Here is the Christmas question for the Monday before Christmas. All right, you you believe that you're at the counter. You are, first of all, being grossly overcharged. You've called them on that, and now it appears that you are being undercharged for your product. Do you just pay for it, head out the door, or do you say, no, I, I actually think if you go back and look at this, it's billing up at 32 bucks. You know, what do you do? Do you take the money and run, or do you point out that, you know, you're still kind of wrong, but this time you're wrong in your favor, you're wrong in my favor, not your favor? How do you handle this? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, okay, Saturday morning, I'm buying five reams of of, uh, of copy paper, and it's supposed to be at least the sign says it's on sale for like thirty two bucks. I take it up there; they want to charge me one hundred and twenty some dollars for it. I say no, no, no. And after a bit of an argument and a discussion, I finally, you know, the manager comes over and they realize that they're they're it, it's ringing up as five five ream boxes instead of one box with five reams in it. Okay, so we get that straight. But so then they, they get it straightened out, they put the price through, and it comes out at like 23 bucks instead of the $32, which is the advertised sale price. At this point in time, there's now a line waiting. People are kind of irritated, I think maybe at me, that I don't want to pay $123 for something that should be 32 bucks. but now they're charging 23 At this point in time, do you just take the discount and, and run, or do you say, no, we still don't have it right? Let's start with Jerry in West Dallas. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, I'm a, I'm an accountant, and uh, I deal with this sort of stuff all the time. But I agree with you that if they make if there's a big computer glitch to start this transaction, right. I would definitely do exactly what you did. Uh, and you know, sometimes people get caught up in these stores with uh, what the computer says, and they don't even use logic. But you get to the point where. If they gave you a little discount here and you're actually getting away with it, so to speak, I just look at the long range on this thing. You know, over the years, I've managed to come out ahead on a few of these situations. Sometimes I don't. It goes the other way. But uh, in the final the final thing on this is you got a line of people behind you. Oh, yeah, who's who are getting agitated, happy. right? Yeah, they're, they're like, okay, why is this guy yeah. doing this? So they're, they're agitated, and all I'm trying to do is pay pay the amount I think I'm supposed to pay. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, unfortunately, in this day and age of computer, the computer number is a computer number, and there's no oh, logic. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, oh no, I, do, no. I, I agree that you should move on. No, thanks. No, well, yeah, and again, and I, and I would, that's what I was trying to explain to the lady at first. I said it's it's five reams of paper. You can't be charging twenty five dollars a ream for paper. There is clearly something wrong here. Um, let's talk to David in Campbellsport. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. Okay, you're standing at that office supply store like I was on Saturday morning, and you're going through this. What do you end up doing? Do you tell them that they've made a mistake now that is in my in your favor, not theirs? Yes, I would. I would tell them that. I don't want to cheat the retailer, and I don't want to be cheated myself. Yeah. E- either way. Uh, it reminds me of years back when I went to college. We were furnishing an apartment grabbed the garbage pail at the hardware store, um, our kitchen garbage, and 
filled it with supplies, took it up to the counter, and she rang up the garbage pail. That was it. Right. I, you know, I said, no, <laughs> open the cover. Look. Yeah. That's right. I'm trying to pay you more money. No, thanks for the call. Well, okay, let me let me share some texts. Um, Jeff, I would again tell them that the charge amount doesn't match the sign and tell them what the sign says. Um, and then if they don't do anything, I would just move on. Jeff, I probably wouldn't have lasted as long as you did. I would have left the store the minute the cashier said it was a hundred plus dollars. Well, I, the, I, I was thinking about that, but I, I needed the the paper. Um, Jeff, if the error is in their favor, I will argue until it's right. If the error is in my favor, I will tell them, and if they tell me that I am wrong, I will agree with them. I have no kids to set an example for. Right? That's kind of it, Jeff. If there's a line of people behind you, just pay the twenty three dollars, walk out, and say Merry Christmas to me, Jeff. Take the money and the wasted, uh, and they wasted some of your time, add in inflation, take it for the $23. Um, okay, so here, somebody are asking, did they use reward points? No, 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 th- this isn't it. So so how did I do this? But uh, And see, because I believe that karma is a you-know-what, and I do believe that stuff comes back to bite you. I, I always, I'm not saying I always do the right thing, but I always try to do the right thing. So... What happened in my case was, so it rings up, they're charging me $23. And I know that's wrong, but the manager was there. And I said to her, I said, look, I don't want to belabor this, but the sign says $32. And you're telling me it's $23. And I think the manager looks at me, and the manager looks at the line of now five or six people who are kind of standing there antsy, and she says, it says $23. That's good. And I said, fine. So, I mean, I actually kind of got the best of both worlds because my conscience is clear. I alerted them that I still think that they were making a—they got it wrong. Um, but this time they got it wrong in my benefit. So I alerted them to that fact, and they told me, go ahead, just just take it. This is what it's showing up saying. Now, I, I don't know. I think—I'm trying to think—I've been intrigued by this, and I'm thinking maybe— they went online, and maybe there was some sort of special online deal that was different or better than store. And a lot of these stores, if there's an online deal, they'll match that. So so maybe that's what it ended up being, and so maybe it was the right price. All I know is I, I did the best I could. I called their attention to the fact that I was being undercharged. They told me, pay the $23 and get out of the store in a nice way. So I paid the $23, got out of the store, and like one of our texters says, Merry Christmas to me. But again, I, I think so karma— Karma can't come—there's a lot of stuff I've probably done in my life that karma can come back at me in a really big way, but this isn't going to be one of them. I tried to do the right thing. I'll take the dough. All right, somebody's saying, you know, what happened to the manager? No other registers? No. There, That's—there's—and this is, I mean, well, welcome to the world of retail nowadays. And, I mean, I understand that the issue that, that's going on, I was talking to—oh, um, we were doing the remote out at the Century for Kids to Kids Christmas— um, last Thursday, and actually the owner of the Century Store, she was just telling me, you know, again, how, how hard it is to find staff and stuff. No, no, this is a Saturday morning at one of these big box office supply stores, and there was one cashier, one cashier, so there were no other lines to, to go through. And I think the manager was off in the printing area. The manager had to come over. No, 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 this was, th- th- this was, this was it. They had to move me along. I was the roadblock, but I got a $9 deal, so... Um, I, I will take it, and my conscience is clear. Uh, so sometimes sometimes karma does work in your favor. Back with more in just a minute. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Run, run, Rudolph, Santa's got to make it to town. 
we've got some chair dancing going on here. Run, run, Rudolph, WTMJ Breaking News Time, 12.30 p.m. From the WTMJ Breaking News Center, he loves snowstorms. He's Mike Spaulding. Thank you very much, Jeff. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We were just listening to that commercial for the Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association over the weekend. It was with some friends, and one of their children has bought a place up in Door County, and we were saying, yeah, we, want to, we want to go up there. And I said, well, we got to stay at one of the, the great bed and breakfasts, and we were all excited about that. We're going to do that sometime this summer. All right. So we got a big snowstorm coming this way. For those of you that live in homes where you have, like, sidewalks and driveways, right? Let, you, get a, you get a bunch of snow. What, what, is, what is the challenge that you have? Well, okay, the challenge is that you've got to go out and you've got to clear your driveway, right? Clear your driveway, and you have to clear your sidewalk. That, that's most communities, that, that's the requirement. You got If you live and there's a sidewalk in front of you, you've got to take care of getting, getting the snow off the sidewalk. You also have to get the ice off the sidewalk. The sidewalk is supposed to be free and clear so that... You know, people can walk and they're not going to fall. You don't want people falling on your property or on your sidewalk anyways because, you know, what happens? Well, they hurt themselves, and then the next thing you know, you're getting a, you're getting a lawsuit, right? So you, you don't want people to hurt themselves. You want the sidewalk to be free and clear from snow and ice, and it's your requirement to do that. All right. How do you keep your sidewalk free and clear from snow and ice in a typical Wisconsin snowstorm? Because what happens is, you know, yes, you, you can go out and, and you can shovel, but no matter how much you shovel, what's going to happen? There's always going to be an accumulation of, of ice at some point in time. You know, sometimes you get into that freeze-melt sort of stuff. Sometimes you can't scrape all the, all the um, snow off the, the driveway or, or off of your um, sidewalk. So there's, there's always going to be an, a little bit of an accumulation that, that's there. So what, what do you do to make sure that people don't slip and fall? All right? Well, you've got three guesses. The first two don't count. You put salt down, right? Now, there's all different kinds of salt, but you, you spread salt on your walk to stop it, the ice from forming. You spread salt on your driveway so ice doesn't form there. And you put salt on the, the sidewalks so ice doesn't form there, right? That, that's just the responsible thing. Well, now, if... If you put too much salt on your sidewalk, the sidewalk police in Madison are coming to get you. Here's the story. Madison property owners have new rules to follow for clearing sidewalks of snow and ice. All right. Madison requires property owners to remove snow and ice. Okay. But this season, owners also must limit use of salt and melting agents and clean them away as soon as possible. Parents with strollers, people walking their dogs, the elderly, and those with mobility issues will all benefit from residents doing their due diligence and keeping sidewalks clear, says such-and-such spokesperson for the Department of Planning and Community and Economic Development. As for salt, the city of Madison is very conscious about keeping our lakes, rivers, streams, and wetlands clear. Chloride from salt degrades freshwater ecosystems. One 12-ounce coffee cup filled with salt is enough to cover 10 sidewalk squares. One 12-ounce coffee cup filled with salt is enough to cover 
10 sidewalk squares. The city has these new rules, and here's the rules. The rules say that excess salt and chemical melting agents may not accumulate on the sidewalk and must be removed following ice or snow melt. If a building inspector who is responsible for enforcing the rules finds that an owner has used what they determine to be an excess amount of salt, the owner will get a notice to clear the salt. If it's not cleared by the date in the notice, the owner will be fined. Not clearing the sidewalk of snow and ice also results in an immediate fine. The first offense for failure to remove snow, ice, or melting agents is $124. The fee for subsequent offenses is $187. The goal for the ordinance is to help keep sidewalks safe for pedestrians, cool with that, and also to help the community cut down on salt use. Um, Under city rules, property owners must remove all snow and ice on the sidewalk that borders their property no later than noon of the day after the snow or ice is accumulated, regardless of the source of accumulation. And then, um, again, your responsibility is that once you have removed the snow and ice and you put down the salt, you then have to go out and remove the the salt Um, if if, (sighs) – but you're only allowed to put salt to the extent it is necessary to treat the ice. And building inspectors will decide this. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. So the rule says if it snows, you get a lot of snow, you have an obligation by noon after the, the day the snow stops, you have to have your walk cleared. Okay, sidewalks have to be cleared. All the snow has to be removed. All the ice has to be removed. You are allowed to put down a small amount of salt because one coffee cup should cover 10 sidewalk squares. Um, And if you put down too much, you are liable to be fined first time up to $125. Then for subsequent offenses, it's close to $200 if you don't remove the salt in a timely fashion. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Look, I love the planet as well as the next person, but we're talking winter in Wisconsin. How did we get to a point in a community where you're going to have the building inspectors come out and say, no, you know, you used a little bit too much salt here, and we're going to demand you remove it. And I'm not even honestly sure how do you remove you know, the salt, once you, you put it down on the sidewalks, like a day or two later, what do you do? Like shovel it? I, I don't know. Do you, do, you, do you pull out a wet vac? Do you, what do you do? You come out with a broom and a dust bucket? What are you supposed to do with the salt? And the bottom line is, look, I, I understand where we want to be responsible with the salt, but is, shouldn't the goal of these communities to be, we want the sidewalks free and clear, and we don't want ice accumulating on them. And one of the ways that you stop that is by putting salt on the sidewalks. Does this make any sense to you at all? And how do you enforce something like this? And I'm just trying to imagine the first person that comes around and says, okay, you have too much salt. Now, your neighbor's salt is okay, but you have too much salt. And a coffee cup for 10 sidewalk squares. Now, I don't live in a community that has sidewalks anymore, but when I lived in Whitefish Bay, it sure did. I'm trying to imagine going out with a coffee cup, 10 sidewalk squares would have been essentially the, the entire area in front of our house, if not more. I, I'm, I'm just here to tell you that would not have begun 
to deal with what you needed to do to make sure that the sidewalks were safe. So is this administrative overkill or is this, you know, so what do we care if people slip and fall and break their necks? We have to save the planet because there might be some salt runoff. 855-616-1620. How do you even remove salt once you've put it onto the sidewalks? We discuss in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I swear, if this idea were any more dumb, it would quack. That the city of Madison wants, wants and requires people to clear their sidewalks of snow and ice. Okay, everybody has that rule. But now they put in another rule saying... If you use too much salt afterwards to keep the ice away, we're going to come and fine you. And they say, well, we don't think that you need more than um, a small quantity of, of salt, and people overuse the, the salt, which might very well be the case. But, okay, they say one 12-ounce coffee cup filled with salt is enough to cover 10 sidewalk squares. Can you imagine? I mean— <laughs> Okay, that, that's like three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine grains of salt. No, you need the salt to stop the ice from forming, don't you? And then they say you're under an obligation to remove it. How, how in the world do you remove sidewalk salt? Do you go out with a broom and then brush it into the street or onto your grass? Look, I, I appreciate that you want to discourage people from maybe using too much salt. You're going to fine people $190 if it's a second violation. Let's start with John on the north side. John, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Okay, my thing is this. All right, that that's that's a no-brainer. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I mean, I know the the city owns a lot of properties and right. uh, abandoned and what have you. So who's going to find them yeah. if they if they're not you know uh, either shoveling? Right. Or, or salt in their streets. I, I, I don't understand it. Well, well, right. I mean, John, you. Ra- I mean, thanks for call. You raise an interesting point. Okay, well, is all right. Are, is the city of Madison now going to follow the snowplows, for example, and say you're putting too much salt down? Look, I mean, I. The, the first thing is you. You want you want safety. I guess I want to. And again, I don't live right now. I, I don't. I don't have sidewalks where I live, so I don't have to handle this. But I, I did. I lived for thirty years in Whitefish Bay. And this is one thing I know about Wisconsin in winter. You've got the thaw. You've got the refreeze. You want to put—I want to err on the side of putting more than enough salt out. And I'm sorry. I love the planet as well, but I don't want to slip on my driveway. I don't want people walking on the sidewalk in front of my house. I don't want the postal guy, when he's coming up to you know my doorstep to deliver mail, I don't want him to slip and fall. And I I don't want to be out there saying, okay, well, I've got my coffee cup with the salt in it, and I want to drop out a few grains here. No, I I want to err on the side of safety and Madison is, is is going in that opposite direction how what bureaucrat determines well Jeff you put out too salt and your neighbor didn't put out enough Jeff how much salt is enough first it's your sidewalk uh, next it's your kitchen table it sounds hysterical just wait and see Jeff I needed to put snow melt down for this weekend I used 50 pounds for 210 feet of sidewalk and I didn't over salt well that that's that's exactly Right. Jeff, some of the biggest violators are, in fact, the municipalities that do the salting. Many times I'll go through an intersection and see piles of salt that for some reason were dumped or came off a truck. Who's going to monitor the city and their use of salt? Jeff, are they going to have them find themselves for oversalting the street? If anyone oversalts, it is the city. Jeff, kudos to the city of Madison for solving so many of their problems that they made this an item on their to-do list. Um, 
Yeah, exactly. Jeff, sounds to this is unenforceable. Can you imagine the building inspector gathering up the remaining salt so as to prove the homeowner is in violation of the 12-ounce rule? And and again, it's not particularly a 12-ounce rule, but that's what they have suggested. They say you don't need more than 12 ounces of salt for for 10 sidewalk squares, which to me is— I mean, I don't know. Look, I've never lived in Madison, Wisconsin, but that I will just tell you, at least when I was living in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, 12 ounces of of salt wasn't going to get you close to the coverage you need on 10 sidewalk squares. And what's going to happen is somebody's going to fall and they're going to break their neck. And so we're now in a situation where, okay, well, we've endangered the mail carriers. We've endangered the people who are walking the dogs, but we do love the planet because we didn't put enough down. Jeff, I can see this resulting in a lawsuit against the city of Madison when someone slips on an icy sidewalk because the homeowner only used a coffee cup per salt per city instructions or an elderly homeowner slipping when they try to remove the salt on their sidewalks. Almost seems discriminatory against people who might struggle. I also, I don't know, again, and I say this sincerely, I don't know how you remove salt. All right, so it's, we're, we're, you get 10 inches of snow. You go out a couple times, you shovel your walk, you shovel your driveway, you shovel the sidewalk, all right? You you shovel the sidewalk. Then, all right, you you, you know, maybe you can get it down to dry pavement, but let's face it, a lot of times that's a struggle because it continues to snow. So then you go out, you put down the salt to stop it from refreezing. And in the opinion of the Madison bureaucrats, you put down a little too much salt, so then you have to remove it. I I honestly, and I say, I don't know, how, how do you remove salt? Well, you're, you're not going to go out with a garden hose and, like, blast the, the garden hose and wash the salt off your driveway into the street. Do you go out with a, I don't know, with a broom? Can you imagine seeing somebody two days after a snowstorm out there sweeping off their driveway? And, and where do you sweep the salt? You, you sweep it onto your grass? I mean, seriously, do you sweep that into the, into the streets? I, I just Do you go out with a leaf blower and try to blow this off somewhere? Do you go out, I mean, is, is it kind of like a lawnmower where you take something and you collect the grass clippings? Seriously, how, how silly is this? Now, some people are saying, well, why, why don't people use sand? Now, I mean, I don't even want to go down that route. I mean, a lot of people who a lot of people who like walk dogs will tell you sand doesn't work anywhere near as well, and sand is is even messier than that. But you know the the bottom line is that how how do you find people for I would argue being responsible in the winter? Let, let me let me see a show of hands out there. When you think of for those of you who walk your dogs or or walk on sidewalks or things like that in the winter, here here's my question: Is the bigger problem, gee, homeowner Jeff? put down too much salt so ice doesn't form on the sidewalk, or homeowner Jeff didn't do a great enough, good enough job of clearing the sidewalk, you've got ice that's built up there, and there's no salt, so it's slippery. My guess is 95% of the people who answering that question would say, no, the, the bigger problem is that there's not enough salt, so it, it's dangerous. Jeff, have you been to Madison in the winter? Their roads are a mess because they use a ton of sand, which does nothing on top of the ice, and the snow. Jeff, you can sweep up the excess salt and throw it in the garbage, but then it ends up in a landfill. It hurts the earth anyways. Same with sweeping it into the grass. Um, a duh on Madison. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to picture the first person who gets this citation for having too much salt and says, okay, and, and again, it's in the discretion of the building inspector. 
So building inspector says, eh, I think there's a little bit too much salt here. What exactly are the standards that are out there? It's just another one of these examples of, you know, the, the, in this case, it's the People's Republic of, of Madison trying to make these determination. Jeff, this is great. I've been waiting for someone to pay my full-time wages while I sit at home and monitor my salt-to-ground ratio. Now, that's right. See, this is this is not the way real people operate, except maybe maybe in the the again the People's Republic of Madison. What, what happens? It snows, so it's supposed to snow a lot this weekend, right? Okay, so that's the deal. Thursday into Friday, it's going to snow a lot. So what what is the challenge? Okay, the challenge is you go out with your snowblower, you do your best to kind of clear off the the driveway, clear off the sidewalk, clear off your walk. That's fine. Maybe you have to go out a couple times to do that. After the snow stops. You put down salt because you don't want the ice to form and things like that. Sometimes there's a little bit of a melt. All right, what are your concerns? Now, if you live in Madison, the concern is going to be not only do I have to have my sidewalk cleared, not only do I have to have my driveway cleared, but now I've got to worry about whether or not I'm using too much salt in the discretion of some bureaucrat as I try to make sure people don't slip and fall on my sidewalk or on my driveway or on the walk leading up to my house as if we did not have enough to worry about with all the other stuff going on in uh, the world. The People's Republic of Madison, again, they've come up with, uh, again, a solution that is desperately looking for a problem. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. Malakalikimaka is the thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. Welcome back, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up right after the top of the hour news. All right, as Paul Harvey, the late, great Paul Harvey would say, we now have the rest of the story. Controversy involving a Milwaukee Bucks fan who was ejected after supposedly threatening the life of an NBA player. We now know what was actually said. We're going to discuss that. Oregon recently decriminalized the use of pretty much all hardcore drugs. Want to shoot up heroin in public? No problem. Want to do methamphetamine in public? No problem. Crack cocaine? Bring it on. What could possibly go wrong with that? Well, a lot has. Stick around. The Wagner Show resumes right after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, I, I've been having this conversation with people during the break, and, and we are going to move on. But if you're just tuning in, and I, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 that the city of Madison, Madison has now come out with this rule that says not only do you have to clean your sidewalks of snow and ice, okay, that makes sense, but if you use too much salt in, in doing that, the bureaucrats, the building inspector will come out and give you a notice saying you've used too much salt and give you a, a set time to remove the salt or else you're, you're likely to be fined. Now, I honestly, I don't know. How do you remove salt that you have put on on the sidewalk that is now like probably partially melted? That, that's why you put it there. And, and how do you do it? I'm trying to picture in the real world, you, you've got, I don't know, snow banks that let's say are a foot tall. 
and, and you've cleared off the driveway, but there's some remaining salt. How do you get that salt off there? Do you do you go out with a broom and just and like sweep it onto the the grass or into the snowbanks? I, I I I did one of my searches here. How to remove salt? Spray affected areas with water to get them wet. Fill a bucket with warm water and add vinegar and or dish soap detergent. Dip the broom into the water and use it to scrub the surface of the concrete. Wait, scrub for several minutes until the salt residue and stains start to lift. Okay. I, I, all right. It's, it's five degrees below zero. You have you know, salted your, your driveway. You've salted the walk. And now the bureaucrat in Madison thinks you've put too much salt on there and has given you 12 hours or whatever to remove it. So I, I, don't, I don't know. You spray the affected area with water, get a bucket of warm water, add vinegar and dish soap and detergent. It's, it's nuts. And, of course, I mean, who's going to do that? And the answer is nobody's going to do that. I'm trying to picture the, the 75-year-old guy and his man and his wife out there, you know, with the, the brooms in 10-degree below weather, like kind of like trying to sweep and get the salt up because they've gotten the ticket. I, I just—this is, again, it's one of these things where people pass these rules and nobody stops to think, how how are we going to enforce this? And, you know, what's— What's it going to be like? And um, again, I, I just—I'm not encouraging oversalting things. And, and I, I get it; people oversalt stuff, and it runs off, and it's not good for the environment. And I love the planet as much as the next person. But also, I'm going to always want to err on the side of safety and making sure the stuff melts. And but of course, you know, in Madison, it's not that we just don't think these things through. Okay, let us switch gears. Draymond Green is a trash-talking forward who plays for the Golden State Warriors. And as I said last week, just in an aside comment to somebody, Draymond Green is a major league jack wagon. He just flat is. He's been suspended for screaming at fans Earlier this year, he punched out a, one of his fellow players who um, happened to be from, from Milwaukee. And they got into a fight, and he, and he punched the guy out. He's been tossed on multiple occasions. Uh, it was Milwaukee native Jordan Poole, and he, and he punched him. But, but Green is, in my opinion, he is a punk and he is a thug and has been for the longest time. But he's had a degree of success, and he can play basketball, and that, that's great, although he's kind of winding down his career. So what happens is the Golden State Warriors are in town to play the Milwaukee Bucks last week. And Green gets upset at a fan that is in the stands, and he goes to the referee, and he demands that the fan be removed from the stands. And he tells the referee, he said, that he was threatening my life. He was making threats against me, and I want him out. And so the, the referee, they, they go over, they point out the guy, they eject him. Now, what was weird is, if you've looked at the film footage of this, um, it's all the, the fans, or at least many of them, they're high-fiving the guy as he's being escorted out, and a lot of them are saying, what, what did you do? And, you know, Green wouldn't say what the guy said that made him feel, you know, threatened or anything like that. They, they just ended up tossing the, this fan. Now, normally, look, I, I, I do not 
at all encourage you know abu- fan abuse, abusive fans. And and you know we we've all been to these games where you've got that leather lung that is screaming stuff at one of the particular players. A lot of times. What happens is that there, there's like racial insults and things like that. But in this particular case, I saw the video of the guy being removed, and Draymond Green is black, and he was black. So you, you assume that, well, it, it probably wasn't a racial thing. So what, what could he have possibly said to get him tossed out? Well, okay, now now we know the rest of the story. And this is probably in different play. But Channel 12 went out, and Channel 12 tracked down the Bucks fan who was tossed from the game. And they were also able to, to actually get a good video feed of this. The guy's name is Mike Shane. All right. And he said, okay, the Bucks are the Bucks are ahead in the game. They're about 20 points in the third quarter. The back and forth between Shane and Draymond Green started in the third quarter. On television, you can see Green yelling at Shane and then getting the, the, the fan and then getting the referees involved. And then at the direction of the referees, Pfizer Forum Security asks him to leave. Green says after the game, he felt threatened. He says that, you know, I'm going to I was I was going to go into the stands and go after him, but I knew I shouldn't do that. So I, I just I brought this to the attention of of the referee. So what did this fan say? that caused this jack wagon basketball player to feel threatened and have the guy ejected. Well, you can hear this on on the, the game film. The guy is standing there, and he's yelling, we giving you a pass. we giving you a pass. The fan said he was referring to an October incident during a Golden State Warriors practice when Green punched his own teammate in the face, Milwaukee native Jordan Poole. And the fan says... I was just letting Green know that the city of Milwaukee hasn't forgotten about it. We don't condone bullying. Um, I thought I'd let it go. I thought I had a nice interaction with the players. I didn't notice he was down there advocating for me to get put out of the game. I didn't think it was that serious. But, hey, that's Dramond, Draymond. After the game, Green told reporters he felt it was more serious. Some threatening stuff to my life. I was this close to going back and diving all the way in, but I just went back and told the official. So, and you can now hear the tape. What the response that made Green feel that his life was being threatened was, we giving you a pass. We giving you a pass. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, here, here's, I guess, I guess it's a couple-part question. And first of all, I, again, I don't want anybody to ever assume that I'm condoning bad fan behavior. And we've all been in the stands when people are screaming like inappropriate stuff, all right? And I, I have no doubt that Draymond Green gets all sorts of really bad things yelled at him. But when you've got a guy who we now is—I mean, I would argue, we giving you a pass— I don't know how anybody in their right mind can interpret that as being a threat on their life. So I guess the question now becomes, all right, you know, should they, just on the say-so of this jack wagon, should they have just tossed him? Or is this a situation where maybe the referee, I don't know, walks over to security and says, "What, what did the guy say exactly before you just throw him? Now, I understand referees want to move this game along, and they, they don't want this delay, so it's easier to toss people out. But are you going to be tossing people out of the stands based on the say-so of some bully ball player who's got, 
well, let's say a track record of not great behavior. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I I withheld discussing this because I was really curious as to what the guy said. And now we know what he said. So the question is, should he have been tossed? Should the officials have handled it in this fashion? Or should they have just said, what did the guy say? And all right, that's what's got you upset. Go ahead and play. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Go, there's no place like home for the holiday. Cause no matter how far away you roam. If you 855-616-1620. Now we're, we're learning more about what happened last week. Draymond Green, the forward for the Golden State Warriors. Golden State's getting blown out in Milwaukee. He, he gets upset with a fan, says, the fan threatened my life. He goes to the referee, says, oh, you've you got to get him ejected. I was going to go into the stands. And, and there's generally, like if you look around, a lot of the, lot of the, the fans, they're like high-fiving the guy. There's this general, like, what, what did you do to get thrown out? No other players seem to react to this. So it's not like other players, either Bucks or Golden State players, are coming up and saying, oh, we, we heard him threaten his life. But it turns out the guy was yelling, and you can now hear this on the tape, we giving you a pass. That's what he said, which is a reference to when he punched out, Draymond Green punched out his teammate, a player from, from Milwaukee originally, 855-616-1620. All, all I'm saying, and I understand what the referees are doing, they, they want to move the game along, okay? But at the same time, don't, don't you have to make, before you just start, start tossing people because some player says something, if the referees didn't hear it, before you toss a fan, don't you have to at least make an inquiry to security, say, what, what did this guy say? What did he do? Or do you simply take some punk like Draymond Green and say, okay, he wants this guy out, and you toss a guy out who paid for his ticket? And I'm not going to ever stand up and defend out-of-control, loud-mouthed, obscene fans. And I certainly wouldn't defend anybody making threats against players. But nobody other than Draymond Green appears to say that this guy said anything other than what he said, which is, we giving you a pass, which to me isn't a threat. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? I think the refs absolutely got it wrong. Um... I think you're right. Draymond Green is a punk, and um, he likes to dish it out, but obviously can't take it. And um, the refs made the wrong call. Um, I think that guy should be given a free game to uh, another game. And um, I don't know. I, I, I think the refs may even, you know, they should say something to those refs that, or to the refs that did it, because it was totally wrong what they did without knowing what was said. And in fact, it wasn't bad what he said. Well, no, I mean, uh, now, now thanks for the call. Now, now some people I'm, I'm, are saying, well, no, when you say in, in certain certain circles, you know, that when you say we're giving you a pass means I'd like to fight, but we're not going to fight now. I, I, we, we giving you a, we're, we're giving you a pass. To me, that's not a, hey, I'm going to threaten your life or things like that. And, and it's, again, I, I just, I, I'm not going to condone bad fan behavior, but nobody in the stands seemed to think that this was, this guy was sort of out of line. None of the players started pointing him out, saying, hey, this guy was yelling these sort of things. This is just a pure reaction by the, this ball player. And I do think there needs to be, I don't know, I hate to use the phrase due process. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, I actually called in the, uh, the next day and condoned Green for doing this before I knew all the facts are in. So I'm kind of calling it to acknowledge that I am wrong for having done that. And 
Uh, moving forward, I think that there should be more of a due process before people are ejected like that. Um, and I also am, am really disappointed in Green for um, lying and misrepresenting the truth. And then he also seemed to kind of even double down on that in the interview later on that show on television. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, thanks. No, he, he um, right. Thanks for calling. Now, look, I, I guess I, part of this is, first of all, if, if you're a professional basketball player or a but baseball player or a hockey player or a football player or whatever, I, I think you have to recognize, and especially if you're somebody like Draymond Green, who invites all sorts of controversy, yet you have to understand that you're going to be heckled from time to time. And if you have those rabbit ears, it, it's going to make it, you know, it, it's going to make it more difficult, you know, if you're, if you're paying attention to the stands. I mean, you know, I, I, I just, I, I looked at this, um, you know, and, and he's, you know, and, and you can see them, you know, they're, they're going back and forth. He, he's engaging with the fan. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's part of the problem. I mean, you know, when if you're going you're gonna to yell back at the fan, I mean, I think, that's, I think that that's unprofessional. Now, again, I, I assumed that these comments had racial overtones or something like that, and there's no place in that. Boom, you say something like that, I think you deserve to, you know, again, be tossed. But that's not the case. Uh, one of our texters says, Jeff, the Bucks have provided this gentleman with tickets to a future game. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think that that's, I think that that's a fair sort of response. Jeff, Draymond Green is a whiny, egotistical baby. If there's any justice, the league will give him another fine for being an outright liar and for causing trouble. Jeff, professional athletes of any type should be ignoring any sound that comes from the stands. He needs to to grow up. And and I do think there's there, there needs to be a, a protocol be, behind this. And I, I think that's that, that's that again that's the situation and it if if security hears something that's fine. If the referees hear something that's fine. If all the players hear something, but this was clearly a guy who decided, well, I'm going to get this character tossed. Let's talk to Mark who's calling us from Illinois. Mark, hello. Hi, Jeff, how are you? Um, I am well, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. What do you think about this? I think that uh, I'm a a high school sports official, and I can tell you that uh, our job as officials is to handle things in between the lines, not things outside the lines. If there's something happening outside the lines of the the game, that's where host management comes into play. And host management is supposed to handle the uh, behavior in the stands. Yeah, so officials can report that to host management, but the ultimate decision about getting someone out and clearing someone out is the host management's job. So, when officials get involved in deciding who people in the stands should be tossed, they get so dicey. They have enough trouble having things in between lines. Yeah, that, that's interesting to me, right? and especially if if none of the officials apparently heard it or or heard it. I mean, look, I mean, I can understand if there if there's a situation where you're you're officiating a game and you hear somebody, let's say, like screaming racial slurs from the stands, and you hear that. I mean, I, I you know, you go, you get security and say, I'd like this person ejected or or whatever. But in this particular case, no, none of the referees even heard anything that apparently you know rose to that level. It's only after the guy complained, and he was the only one that complained. And I understand your point. It just opens up a, a whole Pandora's box if the referees are going to try to try to be the security force in the stands as well as try to keep stuff going on the court. There's enough issues handling in between the lines, and there's. Uh... You have to worry about things outside the lines. Yeah, no, no. Thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. Uh, and again, this is 
I, is this the biggest issue in the world? No, the Bucks are apparently going to give him new tickets. But I, I just you you always kind of wonder how this is if you've got. I when this story originally came out, it was portrayed as another example of you know one of these out of control fans that's like yelling and screaming, you know, stuff that and, and under no circumstance. I mean, if he's threatening the life of a player, of course he should be tossed out and he shouldn't be allowed back in the building moving forward. And depending on what the nature of the threat is, maybe you look at criminal charges. It, it does appear that this was a bit of a premature rush to judgment, and given who it's involving. One of our texters says, is your position tainted by your bias against the player? If the situation was the same, but Giannis was the player making the complaint, would you have questioned it? Well, I would have said, what was it that the guy said to Giannis? That, that's the underlying thing. What was it that was said? And if somebody is yelling at Giannis, you know, I'll give you a pass— I doubt Giannis would have said, I think they were making a threat at me, and I doubt Giannis would have been drawing back at the person for saying this. But So, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it's affected a little bit, because I don't think this happens with most of the players. Back with more in just a minute. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is an example of some reporters maybe that have too much time on their hands, but I confess that I'm intrigued by this. You know, we, um, we did a story a couple weeks ago about, about names and what, what are the most common pet names for, for dogs. And it's interestingly, because I, it all started, I mean, my, my dog's name is Sasha, and, and it all started, somebody said, well, I don't, think, I don't think dogs should have human names. Dogs should be like Fido and Spot and Rover and things like that. And, and that, that may be all, all well and good, what you think, but the reality is, for the, I'm trying to think, of the top 10, top 10 female dog names, they were, all, they were all people names. And for the top, I think like seven out of the top 10 boy dog names were, were, were people names as well. I just found that kind of in, intriguing. So now they've taken it a step farther. Um, well, the Washington Post has a, a story today. Um, that the the Atlantic apparently wondered, okay, that this trend of dogs being named after humans. And so this enterprising reporter says, how common are dogs with human names? To find out, we explored the names of 61,000 dogs available for adoption on the website PetFinder and compared them with baby names in the Social Security Administration records stretching back to 1980. And they've got this online search thing where you can determine how doggy is is your name and you can find out whether or not like if okay so Isaac who is producing the show today is Isaac a more of a human name or more of a doggy name so you you run this and they they say Isaac is a human name and again they they base it th- these four, these things here in a stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs 16 dogs and 85 people would be named Isaac. So Isaac is more of a human name than a a dog name. You want to, if you <laughs> if I can interject here for a second. I I found this yesterday um and I was I was running some of the WTMJ names through here. So Jeff is a human name. Yep. Steve is a human name. We got quite a few Gregs here. That's a human name. Right. But, you know, I mostly work with Libby Collins. Libby 
is a dog name. All right, there you go. Okay, um, so like like Sasha, which is the name of, of my dog. Um, now I actually Sasha was named after after the skater Sasha Cohen. That was the name that I, my my late wife when we got Sasha, she she gave me three names, and I, one was Sasha, and there was a there was a Chinese skater named Mao something or other, and I said, well, there's no way in God's green earth I'm naming my dog Mao, and I forget what the third name was, but we settled on Sasha, and she she is clearly a Sasha. Sasha is a dog name in a stadium of a hundred thousand people and a hundred thousand dogs, a hundred and twenty eight dogs, and eleven people would be named Sasha. So Sasha is is a dog name. All right, our, our number is 855-616-1620. I, it, it's, it's a holiday week. I understand we've got some significant stuff to talk about before the program ends. But if you are wondering whether this name, and it's got to, again, it, these are human names, but the question is, is it more, is your, is your name more of a dog name or is your name more of a, of a human name? One segment, 855-616-1620. If you want to know, I can tell you because we've got the research here. So are you wondering, is it a dog name or is it a person name? We discuss in just a moment. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Okay, I understand this is by no means, way, shape, or form, is the most significant issue of the day, but I admit I'm intrigued. There's, this is, I mean, first of all, the people do this. So these reporters at the Washington Post compared the names of 61,000 dogs available for adoption on the website PetFinder and compared them with baby names in the Social Security Administration records stretching back to the 1880. And so the question is, is a name, is it more likely to be a dog name or a rave or a, or a, a human name? Um, let's see, we're getting a ton of text on this. Raven. Um, Raven is a dog name. In a stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs, um, 116 dogs and 12 people would be named Raven. All right, there you go. Let's see. Hank. Hank is a dog name. In a stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs, 133 dogs and four people would be named Hank. Huh, who knew? Um, okay, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Dan. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi. We just got a, uh, we just got a little puppy, and we named him Oliver. Okay. Oliver is mostly a dog name. In a stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs, 126 dogs and 58 people would be named Oliver. So much more likely to be a dog name than a person name. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. It is. No, th- thanks for calling. Again, it's, 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 it's just it's stories like this that just kind of in, intrigue me, and I just I, I I don't exactly know why. Okay, let's see. Somebody says Melissa. Um, Melissa. Okay. Uh, Melissa is a human name, and it's hundred thousand people and hundred thousand dogs. Seven dogs and ten and two hundred ten people would be named Melissa. Okay, but let's let's do let's try Missy. So Missy is a dog name. So like one of our texters says, well, we, we call her, her name is Melissa officially, but we call her Missy. Missy is a dog name in a stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs, 87 dogs, and two people would be named um, Missy. Um, all right, let's see. People are getting into this. Let's, um, let's see. Finn, that was the question. I'm just, I have to type this in here. Finn, Finn is a dog name. 
Um, hundred and, and again, the, the comparison, 100,000, you're in a stadium, 100,000 people, 100,000 dogs, 105 dogs, and eight people would be named um, Finn. Huh. All right. So that's a dog name. Okay. Bert. Bert. B-E-R-T. Bert. Um, Bert, mostly a dog name. In a stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs, 18 dogs and nine people would be named Bert. Um, okay, you got Bert there. Um, Missy, like I said, dog name, Melissa, that. How about uh, our name? Our dog's name is Jack. Okay, let's put in Jack here. It's just, it's these little things. Jack, okay, Jack is is both a dog and a human name. Stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs, 298 dogs and 200 people would be named Jack. So slightly more Jack, but um, dog name, but um, that's... But not quite there. Um, let's see. Uh, Rory. Okay. Rory. Um, R-O-R-Y. Rory. Let's see here. Rory is mostly a dog name. Stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs. 34 dogs and 11 people would be named Rory. Huh. Interesting. Um, let's see. Jethro. Okay. All right. See, you get this here. Is it a dog name or a person's name? Jethro. Jethro is a dog name. Oh, overwhelmingly. Now, you can tell Jethro must have fallen out. They say in a stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs, 25 dogs and one person would be named Jethro. All right. Um, our golden retriever's name is Russell. All right. Let's see here. Russell. Put that in. Russell is a human name. 16 dogs, 99 people would be named Russell. All right? Let's see. Lucy. All right, let's check that out. Lucy. Lucy is mostly a dog name. 234 dogs and 60 people would be named Lucy. Huh. I'm not sure I would have thought that, but that's the case. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Connie in Portage. Hi, Connie. You're WTMJ. Connie? Connie. Hi, Connie. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Connie. What name you got here? Yeah, hi. Okay. A little bit. Lilla, let's see. Um, let me check this out here. Um, Lilla Beth or Lilla Bet? Um, Lilla Bet. You know why I named her Lilla Bet? Okay. Because uh, that's Queen Elizabeth's pet name for her husband, remember? Oh, okay. And that's why... Yeah, and so, but we call her Lily, but her real name is Lilibet. Okay, well, according to my thing, Lilibet is not a name for people or for dogs. It's that's not showing up, but that, it's, 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 that, that one's not showing up either way. But let me try. Let me try. Let me. Try, so, uh, Lily, but Lily is a dog name. Uh, again, hundred thousand people, hundred thousand dogs, ninety-seven dogs, and seventeen people would be named Lily. So, Lily, Lily, okay. Lilibeth, I can't help you on, but Lily is mostly yeah. a, is mostly a dog name. Thanks, thanks for the call. Yeah, it's, it's, it, that, yeah, I knew she was very unique, and now we know exactly. No, thanks for the call. At least as far as her name goes. Thanks for joining us. Let's talk to. Um, let's see, we've got uh, George in Arlington Heights. George on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking the call. Sure. Uh, I have uh, a Briard, the show dog, and his name is Cooper. Okay. Cooper is a dog name. 
200, and again, 100,000 dogs, 100,000 people, 205 dogs, and 28 people would be named Cooper. So, so you, you, you've, you've, okay. your dog is named correctly there. Thanks for, at least as far as, and look, and I'm not being a, ju- I'm not being judgmental one way or the other. I'm just saying that's, that's what this stuff is. Okay, let's talk to Carolyn in West Penn. Carolyn, you're on WTMJ. Hi, it's Carolyn. Um, I have two labs. One is Patrick and one is Philip. They're brothers. Okay, Patrick Patrick is a human name. Um, 18 dogs and 189 people would be named Patrick. So Patrick, not too many dogs named Patrick. Let's see. Let me try Philip. Philip is a human name as well. Seven dogs and 86 people. So you're, you're... your dogs are unique, so when you yell Patrick and Philip on the street, lots of people are going to be think you're going to be calling people there. <laughs> I know they think we're calling our children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it, Patrick. Philip, come here. What did you do that on the carpet? No, thanks for those are those are primarily human names. If you um, I I, I send this out on a tweet, but it's behind a paywall at the Washington the Washington Post has this um, and it's um. But it's behind a paywall, so it doesn't make any sense for me to text it out because that's it. Toby, somebody just asked, what about Toby? Toby is a dog name. 149 dogs and 12 people would be named Toby. So you've got that going there. Let's see. Ginger. I'm doing these searches with my left hand, which is Ginger is a dog name. 136 dogs and 13 people would be named um, Ginger. Okay. Mariah. Very very interesting at the start of the um, M-A-R-I, Mariah. Okay, it started. Mariah is mostly a human name. 11 dogs, 31 people would be there. Okay, well, you um, <laughs> you, you get the idea about this. Um, it, again, it's, it's, it's one thing to say that there's now more of a trend to have, like, human names, and, and now it's... Now the question is, okay, is it more likely a dog name or a human name? It, you can try it. Go to the Washington Post website. They've got this. I, I'll, I'll send. I'll text out a link because it's just kind of a fun thing to do, and you can run the names of your dogs, and you can run the names of your kids, and you can see, hey, did I pick a did I pick a person's name for my dog, or did I per, pick a, a dog's name for my, my kid, and all those different things. I, I'm not sure if you can get through the paywall, but I will, I'll tweet it out. It's just kind of a fun thing to do. This is... I. I spent about 15 minutes this morning doing exactly what my producer Isaac did over the weekend. There, let me put in the names of some people I know, and we'll see if it's a dog name or not. For the record, Jeff is, is mostly a people name. There's not too many people that call their dogs Jeff. But, you know, what? whatever, it, you're in good company. And, and again, Sasha is a—and let's see, my wife's name is Fran. Fran is primarily a person's name as well. So at, at least as far as playing the odds— the, the the people have have people names, and Sasha has a name that's more likely to be associated with a dog, although it can go either way. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Hey, it's another Christmas song. Yay, another off-returning, royalty-earning Christmas song. I've got plenty more, so go buy a modem. Log on to iTunes and pay to download them. Pay for another Christmas song. Yeah, that's not exactly White Christmas or I'll Be Home for Christmas. But, you know, we, we try to we try to cover the waterfront here on the Wagner program. Now, I'm, I'm just getting swamped with people. I, 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 I'm not sure if it's behind a paywall or not, but I, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a, a link to this Washington Post story that has has this calculator. You can do what I was just doing. You can put in the names, and you can see if it's a person's name or a dog's name more likely. Um, I, my warning to you is 
it's sort of addictive because once I stumbled onto this thing, I spent about 15 minutes this morning just kind of playing around with this. Um, one of our texters says, uh, Maggie. Maggie is a dog's name, uh, primarily. Freddie. Freddie is a dog and a human name. 31 dogs, 23 people would be named Freddie, and that's their, their statistical comparison. So, you know, it, it just, it just kind of, it's just kind of fun. Okay, here. See, I get caught in this. It's, uh, Gracie, that's my granddaughter's name. Let's see. Dun, 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 drum roll. Is Gracie primarily a dog name or a human name? <laughs> Gracie. This, this will make interesting conversation at Christmas dinner. Hundred and, let's see, in a stadium of 100,000 people and 100,000 dogs, 134 dogs and 22 people would be named Gracie. Gracie is a dog name. Okay, there you, uh, there you go. My goddaughter, my goddaughter is named Sydney. Let's see, Sydney here, my niece. Let's see, Sydney. Sydney is mostly a human name. 16 dogs, 51 people would be named Sydney. In any event, it's very, very addictive. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a link to it. When we come back, okay, it's another series story from the world of sports, but it raises a question, can a Wisconsin congressman be both right and wrong at the same time? I will explain and we will discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, we're talking a lot about the weather. This is always one of the sort of difficult situations that from a news perspective or a broadcaster's perspective we find ourselves in because on the one hand, it's several days off and... Lots of stuff can happen. This is Monday. We're talking about a major snow event for Thursday night mm-hmm. into Friday. And so there's always this balancing that you you never want to overhype something because we know this is Wisconsin and sometimes things change at the same time. And you don't want to alarm people, but at the same time, you want to make sure they know that this is a possibility. And so you might want to adjust your, your plans. If you're planning on doing stuff on Friday, well, might might be difficult. Yeah, it, it's always a fine line between telling people to rush out and gather all their groceries for the next three weeks, you know, because right. you're going to be in a snowstorm, knowing that we are in Wisconsin. A, a good chunk of our listeners are, are north of Milwaukee County as well, more part, the, the northwest part of the, or north central part of the state as well, where this is just what winter is. I look at it as just so you know that it's going to be happening. You know, if you want right, to go or there's out, a possibility whatever. it might happen. Yeah. yeah. No right. one wants to get caught with their proverbial pants around their ankles. Uh, but... <laughs> Okay, the imagery, that that wouldn't have been the phrase I used, but okay, you know, they're, all right, okay, got it, pants around the ankles, all right, got that imagery there. You know, but at least you know that, hey, there is a chance of snow in the forecast. I will know. I'll make sure my uh, my snow scraper is Well, right, you know, the, the other thing that whenever we do this that's always interesting to me is the way people react. And again, I, I don't mean to underplay this, I don't mean to overplay it or underplay it, but Here's the truth. We we live in Wisconsin, and I think we do snow really, really well. Now, I understand if you get a if you get a foot of snow that comes, that's going to make the roads tough for a while. But I'm always amazed when you see people rushing out to the stores and buying like every loaf of bread and and every gallon of milk that they can find. Because the truth is, even if you get a, even if you get whooped by a snowstorm, chances are that the roads are going to be open, you know, by that next day or something. I mean, I remember, uh, I don't think you were working here. Oh, it was when you weren't working here and when the Packers went to the Super Bowl. No. Okay, that that's the last 
Now, I'm not saying we, we maybe we've had like blizzards before then, but that week, that Super Bowl week, we we got whooped with with a mm-hmm. blizzard. And you know, everybody, you got to run on the stores and everything. Everybody's buying everything they possibly can off the shelves, and that was a bad blizzard. The, the roads were open, at least you know, especially in urban areas. I don't know about so much in the in more rural areas, but the roads were open that next day. You know, the stores were open, and I'm thinking, okay. I mean, I understand there's going to be a chance you want to be snowed in. You're not going to be able you, you want to lay in a little bit of provisions, but you don't need to buy eight gallons of milk because chances are you're going to be able to get to the grocery store within 24 hours or so. That's that's exactly right. You know what? I, I think we almost like panic leads into panic. Like people are going out and buying a bunch of stuff because they know other people are probably going to do it. And right. It's kind of like a chicken of the egg situation. Uh, but yeah, I can't remember the last time we were snowed in for more than a, a day and a half, maybe, you know, and, and again, that's speaking in Milwaukee County, not well, for well, a world Right, budget. and I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible, and I understand it's something when you're when you're being told, okay, there's a hurricane coming or, or something, and there's a likelihood that you're going to be, you might be without power for, for a week or something like that, but typically it snows, and I don't, I'm not trying to underplay this at all, because I think you need to take precautions, but I'm always just amazed when people rush to the store and buy everything that they possibly can because they're afraid this I'll never get another chance for a month, and and normally, normally it's it's and it's and again maybe that's how it was in 1940, but we're in 2023, and like I say, I do think we we do snow really well 2022, 2023. Yeah, no, absolutely, we have the experience to be able to do it. Plus, the technology is just so much better. By that I mean. If you're snowed in in your house, you can probably order an Uber Eats, and that Uber driver is probably going to find a way to get the food to you, whether they have to drive in a car or snowmobile or whatever it is. Uh, But, yeah, this is certainly not a please go out right now and panic and cancel all your plans. It's just a, hey, it's winter time. And and watch what's going on. If you want to maybe do a Friday night dinner as opposed to a Thursday night dinner because you think the snow is going to be here Thursday, that could be a good idea as well. Okay, so that's our public recommendations now, now privately. To, let's we say to both our wives, get to the store and get yeah, all no, that stuff you right possibly now. can. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, Fran, get, get out there, right? <laughs> let's, let's let's buy all this type. Of, no, I, it's just it's always and, and it'll be all over TV. And again, I'm not encouraging people to to downplay this because it does seem like, at least on Monday, it seems like we're looking at a a significant snow event. At the same time, I'm always encouraging people to. You know, to, just to to not lose your head about these sort of things. So that's it. Here's one of our texters, Jeff. I'm I'm with you. Um, just take I, I'm with you. It just takes one uh, one ditch run in the very next day. You know, right? And and then it's clean in the whistle. It's a whistle. Yeah, it's just we, we do snow well. That's you know, there, there's there's maybe a lot of stuff you can criticize, but we do. I think we do snow very very well. And sometimes you just need to have your patience. But we'll we will keep you updated. Um, right now, the, the forecasts say that we appear to be in a position to get a whole bunch of snow, but you know we'll, we'll have a better idea of that, you know, in a couple of days. All right, I, I'm curious as to how you feel about this particular issue. Now, a couple. All right, if, if you, I was I was watching the Army Navy football game the, the other day, and you know, Army has a running back who will be a high first round a high draft pick in the NFL draft a first round draft pick or a second round a round draft pick they've also got a linebacker that's um they they think might be a a first round draft pick now it always used to be if you go to one of the service academies remember I'll, let me pull a name from the past Roger Staubach who was a a great great player for the Dallas Cowboys for years and years Staubach went to the Naval Academy, and he had to delay 
his starting in his his NFL career, he he had a commitment to military service that I believe was two or three years, and that was the deal. You know, you you go, you know, and you you before you can get on with your life, you owe you owe the government and you owe the military a couple years, and that that's always been the rule. A few years ago, the Defense Department changed their their policy, and what they said is that athletes would be allowed to delay their commitment to the service, you know, in order to pursue a, an NFL career. So this isn't—it's um, it, not that you could completely get out of it, but you had to—you had to—or David Robinson, the basketball player, right? Somebody text, same example. Okay, you, so it's not that you get out of your service commitment, but you could, recognizing that the, the window to play professional sports is somewhat limited, and also recognizing that whether it's the Navy or Army or whatever, that they want to be able to recruit competitive players, you could—the the Defense Department had a rule that said that you could delay your service commitment until essentially your professional career came to an end. So you could go play in the NFL, and then once you were done with the NFL, then you'd have to go into the Army. You'd have to go into the Navy or whatever. So here's—this is something that's being pushed by Wisconsin Congressman Mike Gallagher, who himself is a a veteran and a really good guy. The story is that um, there's a potential change in this this policy that's been in effect since 2019. Um, The rule— um, now uh, tucked into Section 553 of the National Defense Authorization Act, which is heading to President Joe Biden's desk, is language that states an agreement by a cadet or midshipman to play professional sports constitutes a breach of the service obligation. Um, the cadet may not obtain employment, including as a professional athlete, until after competing, completing the cadet's commissioned service obligation. Um, and that obligation is, is traditionally two years. Now, Wisconsin congressman, like I say, Mike Gallagher, is one of the proponents of this. And he says, look, here, here's, here's the deal. If, if these athletes who decide that they, that they want to defer their commitment— they're taking up a space which would otherwise be filled by somebody who is willing to go directly into the military. And Congressman Gallagher argues that it's it's bad policy. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I am curious. On the one hand, you know, the Air Force and Army and Navy, um, they want to they want to recruit you know, competitive athletes. They want to be able to go and, you know, and, and they want to do well playing football or whatever. And one of the things that they've been able to offer is, well, look, if you, you know, if you do really well, if you're that superstar and you think you've got a career in pro sports, at least since 2019, you'll be able to defer your obligation. That ability is now going to go away. And here's the kicker. It's apparently not going to be grandfathered in. So the, for example, these these guys... The, the, the players at Army, the, the couple that they think you know might be eligible for the NFL draft, even though this rule was in effect when they joined, they're not going to be able to register for, for the NFL draft. That ability is going to be revoked. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. To me, there's two issues. First of all, should players at the service academies be able to delay their military obligation and if we change the rule, should we should we grandfather the people 
who are in, the people who were recruited since 2019, who came to the military academies thinking at least that, hey, if I've got a pro career ahead of me, I'm going to be able to defer my playing time. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Well, okay, this is Michael Bublé. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm still going with I'm still going with Bing Crosby there. Okay, so eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is a WTMJ talk and text line. So buried in the, this new defense appropriations bill is, as part of the law, it would revoke the ability of players who play at service academies to defer their military their, their military time. Now, no, no, under no circumstances would they be able to avoid entirely, but they could defer it. And you, you do have, I mean, I use the Roger Staubach example. A number of people are texting and saying David Robinson, who, you know, um, he, great player for the San Diego Spurs and the NFL and the NBA Hall of Fame, but, you know, he had to delay his basketball career for two years because he had to serve in, in the Navy. That was just the requirement. How do I feel about this? Well, I think this is one where I think well, first of all, the, the argument, the reason not to do this, and the justification was that if you have Army, Navy, whatever, if, if, they, if the teams perform well, you know, that, that generates revenue for the schools and the fans and things like that, so it makes it easier to attract star players if they're going to be able to defer their, their military commitment. That's the argument. The argument against it is it, it's, it's not fair because they're, if they don't want to be in the military, they're taking up space from somebody else who, who wants to start or maybe make a full career out of being in the military, and they're being, like, excluded. I, I don't know how often—I mean, I don't know how many players that's really going to affect, though. To me, I don't so much have a problem with not— Moving forward, I don't have a problem if you want to say, look, this is the rule, and you've got to understand that just like Roger Staubach or just like David Robinson, you've got to do your two years first. And if that means you don't want to go to Army or you don't want to go to Navy or you don't want to go to Air Force, that that's fine. I don't have a problem moving forward. I guess my bigger issue is if you recruit somebody in, in 2019 and you tell them, okay, here's the deal. This is our policy right now that you're going to be able to delay and defer your military service. And somebody comes in thinking, hey, if I have a great career here, I, I'm going to be able to defer it. I, I don't I don't think it's right, I guess, not to make it retroactive. My point would be the people that have been playing for the last couple years, and there's only a handful, I, I think they should be grandfathered in. If you want to change the rule moving forward, I understand. Mike and Mequon. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Good afternoon. What do you think? Um, well, as a graduate of the Naval Academy from 1980 and a Navy football team uh, member, played tight, tight end. Cool. Uh, I, I've got to clear a couple of things up. First of all, uh, David uh, McCallum did not defer any of his service. He served his five, full five years, but he went to recruit command. So six months he played football, and then six months he was playing basketball. 
and that worked out fantastically for the Navy as a recruiting poster. But the best example is Napoleon McCallum, who was a couple years older than me, was a fullback, played for uh, the Raiders, and didn't defer either. Again, the recruit command. So there's precedent for this. But to your point specifically, this is absolutely criminal for kids that thought they might have a shot at the pros to change the rules and not allow them and not grandfather them in. That's typical government thinking. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I see. And and that's that's my big beef. I mean, I think it to me, this is sort of changing the rules because, I mean, I my, my guess is, like the, the kid who's the linebacker or whatever, it, it may very well be if he didn't—my guess is when he was recruited, they made it clear to him, okay, this is what the policy is now, and if you turn out to play really, really well for us and you've got a chance at playing in the NFL, you're going to get that opportunity. But you still owe, you still owe us you know, years of service. And if he agreed to it under those commissions—under I'm, I'm those conditions, I I'm agree. I don't, I don't see how you can pull the rug out under— these kids, and it's only a small number of kids. I mean, there's but how many kids are going to be playing in the NF in the NFL or the NF, NBA coming out of Navy or Army or Air Force? It's it's a small number of cases. One, one or two every few years. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. No, no, thanks to call. I'm 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 there. Um, Jeff, typically a five-year commitment for an academy grad. Robinson only uh, served two because he was too tall to serve on a ship. Starbuck, Starbuck served five. Didn't realize that. Um, man, I mean, five years. Jeff, uh, same with Elvis Presley drafted at the height of his career. Yeah, and, of course, Elvis Presley was drafted. That's different. Now, there's a different consideration because— there, to get into the Naval Academy, to get into West Point, to you know, get into the Air Force Academy, these are very, very incredibly sought-after positions. And but typically, you know, the people that are, are applying, you need the congressional appointment to get to those. I mean, typically, the people who are applying are considering a career in the military, as opposed to at least initially, they're considering a career in the military as opposed to you know a career in professional sports. I guess I don't have a problem with them changing the rules, and I understand I understand both sides of it. If you can find that extraordinary athlete that's going to help you win games, you know what's the harm in letting him defer? But I also under the, understand the flip side of it. The Congress, the point Congressman Gallagher makes, which is, hey, you know that you're taking up space from somebody else who wants to, to serve right now. So I don't have a problem with the rule. I just think that you've got to be really, really clear. And if you were promised some kid, some young person, you come play with us and you can defer your you can defer and you get you want to play in the NFL and you're good enough to play in the NFL, we're going to allow you to defer your military service time until you know you're done with, with athletics. I think that's a reasonable position to take, and I don't think you can pull the rug out from under them. And yet that my understanding is that's precisely what the language in the new bill that President Biden is going to sign does. And I just think I think that's unfair to that small handful of people who essentially have been, mis- I believe, have been misrepresented as to what their future was going to be. I wouldn't like it if it happened to me, and I'm sure they're not going to like it either. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Have a holly jolly Christmas And when you walk down the street Say hello to friends you know Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Hey, just... 
in another day, another fire at Northridge. A small fire. The fire department had to respond. This is like the fourth or fifth in just the last several months. But what's been happening is you have people that break into Northridge and then they set fires. The one that the fire department had to respond to on Sunday, I believe, was it was a small fire. It was in a planter. But th- this is a game that, that people, like I, I assume it's primarily area kids play, where you, can you break into Northridge and can you set something on fire? And, of course, the problem is the fire department has to go and, and deal with it. Northridge is a disaster, and I, I think— I think finally the, the court system, and as a matter of fact, I don't fault Milwaukee Circuit Court judges who would have had this thing torn down a long time ago. Um, I think finally the, the court system, but for the act of two judges on the Court of Appeals that, that stopped the, the earlier demolition, I think pretty much everybody recognizes enough is enough. This company that owns Northridge is not a good actor. Um, they have no intention of developing this. It's getting worse and worse. And it's important just to bring in the bulldozers and tear the damn thing down before some firefighter dies or some kid ends up getting, who's broken into the place, ends up hurting himself and dying in a fire that they're trying to set or whatever. And and it breaks my heart to do that because I grew up going to Northridge and stuff, but it's, it's time. I don't know what the future of that property is going to be, whether it's light industrial or, or something else whether it's the site for a kid's prison or something. I don't know what the site's going to be, but Northridge, the the buildings have to come down. They're a fire hazard, and every day that they stand up, it provides, number one, it continues to define that that neighborhood, which needs all the help it can get. And secondly, it provides, it's a hazard both to citizens and certainly to the firefighters. All right, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Here, and it's no surprise, this was reported, the January 6th committee, that has been investigating everything that happened on January 6th of 2021 for the better part of 18 months. The, um, th- this, is their, this was their final meeting today um, because there's a new Congress coming in. And so the, the new Congress, the House of Representatives, is going to be controlled by Republicans, and they might have a different look on this. The House committee investigating the attack has recommended to the Department of Justice— that um, Donald Trump be indicted on four felony offenses, inciting insurrection, conspiracy to defraud the United States, obstruction of an act of Congress, and one more federal crime, um, as it referred to him there. So those are the charges. Each one carries lengthy prison sentences. They also referred five Trump allies, his final chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Jeff Clark, who was an attorney with the Department of Justice, and Kenneth Cheeseborough for potential prosecutions. All, I think, those sort of relate to efforts to come up with legal arguments to suggest that the 2020 election was biased. The committee referrals do not carry legal weight or compel any action by the Justice Department. Um, the Justice Department makes these decisions exclusively, um, but this is, from an historical perspective, this is the first time in American history that Congress has referred a former president for criminal prosecution. So again, the, the Justice Department isn't bound by any of this. It's not even it's not even an advisory sort of thing. But they're saying, okay, this is what our investigation is. And I think much of the evidence that they turned up has also been turned up in connection with what's going on with with, with the own the own investigation as well. This is of course independent of the investigation that's going on with regard to Trump taking all the, the documents and keeping them in, in Florida 
and the question about do they belong to him, do they belong to um, the, the government. And it's also, of course, independent of the investigation going on, certainly in Georgia, in connection with was there you know, an effort to obstruct justice um, by trying to you know, pressure the Secretary of State or pressure the governor into changing the results of the election. But here you have it, a referral, again, for the first time in American history, that a former president be charged. Now, I, I, the, the, I mean, this makes great—I mean, it makes a great political story. I, I, I get it. At the same time, um, I don't think—again, the, the Justice Department isn't going to be swayed by this one way or the other. They've got different considerations, including, you know, can we prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt? But I think it, it does raise an interesting, you know, conversation, and that is, would you like to see President Trump be charged criminally? 855-616-1620. Would you like to see the Justice Department indict him, or do you just hope that Donald Trump kind of goes away and does something like this, a prolonged public trial that may or may not result in a conviction— if if they go after Trump and he's able to beat this, does this help? Does it does it, does it put him in a stronger position than ever? 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line. Would you like to see Donald Trump indicted? The January 6th committee certainly would. We discuss in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And that's certainly going to be the case later on this week if these forecasts come true for a big snowfall. 855-616-1620. And actually, our, our texts are kind of indicative of, of how controversial this is. If you're just tuning in, to the surprise of no one, the January 6th committee had its final meeting, and they've recommended to the Justice Department that various criminal charges be issued against Donald Trump. This this has no legal authority. The Department of—this is, however, the first time that Congress has ever recommended that a former president be charged with a crime, but the decision is exclusively up to the Department of Justice, and they have, they have different considerations, including— um, do we do we think we can secure a conviction in a court of law beyond a reasonable doubt? Because I'm here to tell you that the take my advice as a former prosecutor here, the worst thing in the world that could happen in, would be to try to indict a former president and then just like what happened in the impeachment hearings, not be able to convict him. Um, that's that that would be a bad thing, and actually for people who might not have been never Trumpers, but are never again Trumpers, this this is the kind of thing that you go after him and he ends up getting acquitted. You you put him in a situation where have, have you emboldened him and his supporters? In addition, the, the other factor the Department of Justice has to consider is, okay, are we setting a bad precedent? Is this Is this going to be like, okay, moving forward, okay, this is Trump, but moving forward, when you know one party takes over after another party, um, are, are we going to go? When you see this happen in a lot of banana republics, are we going to start investigating? You know the, the former administrations. Now, the the elements essentially that lead to the various charges that they're recommending. First of all, they say he lied about widespread fraud um, when he claimed that the election was stolen, despite being told his claims were false. Um, he's guilty of a crime by organizing false slates of electors in states won by Biden. 
and by pressuring state officials, the Justice Department and Mike Pence, to overturn the election, and then finally by amassing a mob of his supporters, I'm quoting now, to march on the Capitol where they engaged in hours of bloody violence while Mr. Trump did nothing to call him off. Okay, so those those are the, the concepts. Now, uh, let's take the last one, for example. I don't know. I mean, Trump Trump's going to say, hey, I, I didn't tell anybody to storm the Capitol. Yeah, I, I think— uh, and I just I could not control them, and so the question is, you didn't call them off. Does that is that enough to subject you to criminal prosecution? Um, as to the whole, you know, the election was stolen. All right, well, he, he says if his defense is, look, I, I and I think he continues to believe that the election was stolen. How do you get a conviction here? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. All I'm saying is. I think the Justice Department needs to proceed really carefully here, and I think the fundamental question becomes, this was two years ago, if you, if you prosecute Trump, and are, are, we gonna, are you going to put him in an orange jumpsuit and send him to prison? Is that, is, that's what's, is that what's going to happen? And do you set a bad precedent, or do we just simply want him to go away? Jeff, this has been uh, the whole goal of the Dog and Pony Show to begin with, to prosecute him. Jeff, the worst would be to let him get away with it, and um, still no former president did what he did. Jeff, I'd like to see the corrupt Department of Justice and FBI investigated. Well, see, that's it. Jeff, don't indict Trump. Jeff, either arrest him or move on. I'm tired of hearing about it already. If they don't have enough proof by now, they never will. Jeff, the problem is the congressional investigation committees have no ability to do fair and honest investigations anymore. Both parties have decided the outcome that best suits them politically. Nowadays, corruption is, in fact, the rule. So, Jeff, so because he was a president, he should get a break. But if a regular Joe did it, he would go to jail for a while? I don't think that's fair. Well, okay, that— the problem with that is this is exclusively tailored to what he did as the president. He, there's no question. He didn't accept the results of the election. He continues to believe that he was that there was all this, this fraud that stole the election from him. Now, I don't think that that's a rational position, and I certainly, you know, nothing he did after the result of the election, I think, is something that most people can, can get behind. But at the same time, is, is that criminal? Yes, supporters— stormed the Capitol and committed all sorts of crimes. There's no question about it. But did did he tell them to do it, or did they just do it thinking this is what he wants to do? And do you hold him responsible for that? I'm just telling you, no matter how much you you love Donald Trump, if you look at what happened here, it's impossible to defend. But no matter how much you hate Donald Trump, trying to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt— for stuff like this, I think is a very, very, it's going to be hard. And obviously that's what the the Department of Justice is looking at, because if you bring charges like this against a former president, you're setting a huge precedent. And if you can't get a conviction, well, that leads you, that puts you in a very, very difficult position, because then you make Donald Trump a martyr in the eyes of many of supporters. Jeff, Trump needs to go away. I think he's a con artist. I hope he goes to jail. Well, okay, Jeff, lock him up. Jeff, our elected leaders need to stop wasting our money and knock off this nonsense. Six years of a political witch hunt is enough. Jeff, no way. It is Biden that needs to be investigated, charged, and impeached, probably and perhaps not in that order. Jeff, he needs to go. Jail. 
Why do we have laws if we don't? I'm just I'm sharing with you some of the text I get because again we're all across the everybody's across the map here. So this would be a very very divisive sort of situation. And I, I will tell you this that the, these are not open and shut prosecutions. And and the theories I understand the theory that the the nine eleven that the, the nine eleven I'm sorry I understand the theories that the January sixth committee are operating on. But it's one thing to have a political investigation. It's one thing to denounce Donald Trump. It's one thing to criticize the stuff that he has done. It's another to turn those into criminal charges and then try to secure a conviction. And that's, again, that's what the hesitation is, because quite honestly, regardless of how you feel about the merits of a case like this and what you would like to see happen to Donald Trump, I'm here to tell you, proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law is anything but a slam dunk. Jeff, the intention of the panel is to keep him from being president again. President again. None of these investigations have proven to be successful. Jeff, they should let it go already. Um, Jeff, just because Trump is mentally ill doesn't mean you should put him in prison. Jeff, not a fan of Trump, but the opinion of this committee means nothing to me. These are politicians, not law enforcement investigators. Jeff, they really need to investigate Biden and Hunter Biden. I wish they would leave Trump alone. Jeff, Trump's behavior was idiotic, borderline stupid, but not criminal. If we could charge people for stupidity, there would be a whole lot of people in jail. Well, and, and again, let, let me just give you the example. Let's, let's say you go ahead, the Department of Justice indicts Trump. Fine. That sets the precedent. Then two years from now, six years from now, Joe Biden leaves office. Republicans take over. There's a Republican Department of Justice and all these inquiries into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. All right. Well, you know, we we think that there had to be some shenanigans or mishandling here. So now we're going to bring these criminal charges here. I'm just I'm not defending people who commit criminal acts. I am just saying that the time to experiment with novel theories of prosecution is not when you are going after a former president. And I I hope the Department of Justice, if they decide that they're going to put this matter to a grand jury and bring indictments, I I hope they've got a rock-solid theory because the worst thing that could happen to this country would be they indict Donald Trump, they put him on trial, and then he ends up getting acquitted because then he becomes a martyr to a lot of his supporters. Okay, when we come back, let's find out what John and Sandy have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.